You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. As I customarily do before we jump into this episode of the OPP, is to talk about one of the products that I love. And today I'm going to talk about GABA Brain Food. You guys are probably already familiar with the four brain food lines that we at Natural Stacks carry, which is the acetylcholine, the GABA brain food, the serotonin brain food, and the dopamine brain food. And because this episode is about sleep, I'm going to talk about the GABA brain food. GABA is a really effective product for me that I take as part of my nighttime routine. And I have a night stack that I do every single night. And that is uh, magnesium. Uh, that is the MagTech product that we have. Uh, I usually take one or two GABA and then I take the prebiotic plus. And what I've found is the GABA helps me get into relaxation before I head off to sleep. And what I love about it is that uh, about a half hour after I take it, I start to uh, relax sort of in my shoulders and the back of my neck. And um, that sort of is a signal for me that, okay, it's night time. Uh, as always, these products are made specifically to work with the other products. And as the GABA brain food product uh, was created, um, it obviously goes well with uh, the MagTech and the Prebiotic Plus. So if you're having trouble with sleeping or uh, if you're listening to this, you're probably interested in sleeping, try the GABA brain food as a a nighttime supplement. I think you guys would really like it. And always uh, take, use the promo code MAC15, M-A-C-1-5 for 15% off your first online purchase. And while you're there, stock up on some other great stuff because there is a plethora of awesome products that uh, we bring to you. It is my pleasure. In this episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast 170, we talk with Dr. Michael Bruce. Michael Bruce is the guy for sleep, and he's been on Dr. Oz. He works closely with uh, with lots of uh, very, very well-known, very high-profile uh, wellness entrepreneurs and doctors and researchers, and this guy has come up with uh, these sleep chronotypes. We all can take this free online quiz to figure out what our chronotype is. I happen to be a bear, which is I go to sleep at uh, a standard, you know, 10 o'clock, 10.30, and I'm up at 6. But this conversation really ranges all over the place, and it's and we, we dive deep. And he does so many of these podcasts. Uh, he's really polished, really likable guy. We get into sleep quality. We get into um, uh, melatonin a little bit. We talk about uh, CBDs for a little bit and what sort of effect CBDs can have to improve sleep. And uh, we also talk about... Uh, how it affects our performance. What what does what how the importance of sleep? How much sleep we get? Um, you don't need eight hours. Bing 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 bing. You don't need eight hours of sleep. Uh, it's a myth. And uh, once you can become a little bit more aware of how you sleep, how you like to sleep, you can also do things to uh, get ready for sleep through blue blocking glasses, um, drinking water as soon as you wake up to feel more refreshed. Just. The, the entire universe of sleep is covered with this. Uh, we could have gone for another couple hours, but he's a busy guy and I'm a busy guy. But I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. Uh, enjoy. 
You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. Okay, we've got Dr. Michael Bruce today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Dr. Bruce, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Nice. So one question that I ask every one of our guests, the first question I ask is, uh, what's in your body? At the moment that you're recording this, what have you taken and consumed today? So I had matzo ball soup for lunch. So that's where it starts. (laughs) Nice. Um, I, um, I do, I have actually a pretty, I have a pretty decent routine in the morning. I have a supplement routine. So, um, I am uh, big into omegas. I actually take three grams of omegas three times a day, um, which is a ton of omega. Um, there's a reason for that. I'm, I have a, I'm post, um, TBI. I had a traumatic brain injury six years ago. And so we're still tweaking around and trying to make sure that everything is copacetic up there because I, I definitely have had some pretty significant residual side effects from that. And so I, I'm on a specific omega for uh, brain damage protocol. So I do that. Um, I also take vitamin D3, 5,000 uh, IUs a day. I also do CoQ10. Um, and oh, and I do um, athletic greens. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with uh, that product. I dig that product a lot. Um, I don't know why I, t- I tried it and it just works great for me. I have it every morning, uh, on an empty stomach with a branch amino acid chain. Um, and I do that, uh, before I work out, I try to work out most days, but you know, traveling and whatnot, sometimes I can't. So that is what is in me today. Nice. So your morning routine is some vitamins, the athletic greens, Yep. And then, and then you kind of, I guess it's not, it's not really fasting, but then you fast kind of till lunch and then whatever's for lunch. Yeah. Um, usually that's exactly what happens. Usually I'm working out between breakfast and lunch. Cause I'm a, my chronotype is one of more of a night owl, um, what I call a wolf. And so I'm terrible in the mornings. I have to get up at six 30 to wake my kids up and I dread it. Um, <laughs> it's just the worst time of day for me. I tell people all the time, the only thing I like less than mornings are morning people because they're <laughs> so damn chipper. And it makes me sick. Um, so I'm just not a great morning person. And I really have a hard time eating in the mornings. Um, I just don't have an appetite, which is common for um, uh, night owls or what I call a wolf. Um, so that's not particularly surprising. And I try to have a reasonable lunch. We had leftover matzo ball soup. So you can't ever go wrong with leftover matzo ball soup. And by the way, this, is, this has been driving me crazy. Like, you know, the big craze about bone broth that's been going on for the last two years? Oh, yeah. Okay. Jews have had bone broth since the dawn of time. Okay. It's called chicken soup, right? <laughs> like that's what it is. It's, it's full carcass chicken that's boiled. And then you put a fresh one in for the meat and it's bone broth. Right. So yeah. it's always so funny to me how what's old becomes new again. Um, right. So that's my story is um, I'm full of matzo ball soup, vitamins, and athletic greens. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a true, sounds like a true biohacker. Sounds like a, a true optimizer. <laughs> I'm not surprised whatsoever. Yeah. So this is all, you're, you're the sleep guy. I mean, you, I am. You're, you're the guy, you're the dude. Did you know 10 years ago, 20 years ago that, that you were bound for, for, for uh, sleep ubiquity? No, I, 
sleepy piquity. I like that. Um, no, I didn't. I started practice 19 years ago. And um, when I was in graduate school, I was actually interested in sports psychology primarily. Um, and there was a great um, a residency in, uh, at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And it was really a medical psychology residency. And so I applied for and got in and there was an open rotation in sleep for the first um, quarter and uh, in the sleep laboratory. And I was all excited to do sports psychology. I thought it was going to be the thing I was going to do. I was all juiced. You know, this is going to be fantastic. And um, they said, hey, we've got extra room on the sleep rotation. Will you take it for us? I'm like, sure. It sounds interesting. Could be fun. You know, how, how bad could it be? Right. And um, literally by the third day, I absolutely fell in love with clinical sleep medicine. I knew that was where I wanted my career to be. I mean, dude, I help people in 24 hours. It's crazy. Like if you can uh, recognize and diagnose a sleep disorder in somebody and get them treatment that quickly, like that doesn't happen very often in medicine. And I just had tremendous respect for the doctors and just thought it would be such a cool privilege to be able to identify and help people um, with their sleep as quickly as, as can be done. Now, don't get me wrong. Insomnia might take a little bit longer. Apnea is very easy to identify. Narcolepsy, again, easy to identify. Um, and I've also been really, these last couple of years, looking at alternatives to the, his, the historic ways that we treat sleep disorders. You know, because historically, for sleep apnea, it's, uh, and for folks out there who don't know what sleep apnea is, that's a situation where you stop breathing in your sleep. It's pretty si significant, pretty serious. About 12% of our population actually has it, which is a large number of people. Um, you know, and so when you start to look at things like sleep apnea, nobody takes into account inflammation, right? Which is fascinating to me because I would just think, wow, you're obese, your you know, C-reactive protein is off the charts, you know, your cortisol is completely out of whack. And nobody bothers to look at inflammation. Like it's just amazing to me that nobody's starting to look at those things. So I'm I'm definitely kind of on the path to look for more integrative and alternative um, understanding of the sleep disorders because that might lead to treatment. Because let's be really honest, while I get an opportunity to help people very quickly and I and I feel very fortunate to do that, there are plenty of people I can't help. Um, and that's really tough when you're a guy who that's what you do. <laughs> You know, like I go in and I fix people's sleep problems and I'm pretty successful at it, but there are definitely some people that I don't know what's going on. And so I'm very excited to be walking into the world of the microbiome, into supplementation, into uh, diet and nutrition, and really starting to see how do those things affect sleep. Right, right. Because everything, what you're doing when you're not sleeping affects what you do when you are sleeping. Absolutely. What you're, no putting, in your, what you're putting in your body, how much do you move? Oh yeah. Well, you mentioned you, you mentioned one of the chronotypes, and, and I I took the quiz. Um, when if, when you first released the book, um, okay. uh, I'm a bear, and bears are the best. Bears are the best. <laughs> <laughs> you say that all. You say that to all the bears, don't you? I do because <laughs> because they are the best. Here's why it's great to be a bear. So for folks out there, I created a um, these four archetypes, and you can take a quiz and learn which one of these archetypes you are or chronotypes. If you've never heard of the word chronotype before, don't worry, you actually have. If you've ever heard of somebody being called an early bird or a night owl, those are chronotypes. And it turns out there aren't two, there's four. Um, and so one of the ones that you're describing is the middle, not the early bird and not the night owl, but the what we used to call a hummingbird, but what I have changed to be called a bear. And the reason it's the best to be a bear, 
um, is because the world works on a bear schedule. Um, roughly 50% of the world is a bear, and then the other three are made up in that other 50%. Um, and um, you know, the way the whole world works is really on a bear schedule. I mean, working nine to five is a bear schedule. Getting up at seven is on a bear schedule. Going to bed at 10 is on a bear schedule. So it's like, it's great to be a bear because it's easier. Um, I am a wolf, so I'm a night owl. And I'll tell you something, my entire life, people told me I was lazy because I didn't like mornings. I like to sleep in. Um, I, I'm much more of an introvert, generally speaking. Bears have a tendency to be more extroverted. Um, and um, it, I was, everybody always thought I was lazy um, going through school. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of fascinating to sort of understand that. And, and, and once I started doing the book and really learning about chronotypes, I realized, wow, there's a lot of people out there that are suffering from this that didn't realize that it's really just an issue of matching their chronotype to their life. Yeah. And that, and that begs the question too, because, you know, as, as much reading as I've done and not only to prepare for this conversation, but because I'm fascinated by sleep, um, based on, well, first, first maybe name the other, the other chronotypes. Sure. So the, the early bird is, I call a lion and I actually chose, um, mammals number one, because I'm a mammal. Um, I'm not a bird. And so I don't feel like I resonate to a bird. But I chose mammals that actually have this, these schedules. So lions actually wake up before dawn. Their first kill is usually before the sun rises. Um, that's very advantageous for them. So they're my earliest creature that's out there. Bears have a tendency to wake up when the sun comes up and go to sleep when the sun goes down. Wolves, like myself, we, have to, we tend to be nocturnal in nature. And then dolphins is the fourth chronotype that I haven't mentioned. And dolphins are my problem children. Um, these are the folks that have got insomnia. And they can't tell what their chronotype is. And, and by the way, these chronotypes are actually genetically predetermined. So it's all based on your period gene and specifically the period three allele on that gene. The length of that determines our sleep drive. Um, and so how much sleep does our body require? It turns out that wolves or night owls and dolphins don't require as many sleep cycles as bears and lions do. Um, and there's literally over 300 studies looking at these different chronotypes. Um, in different ways to understand what, uh, you know, is appropriate for them on a scheduling perspective, right? So if you're a lion, as an example, and you want to do an activity with somebody that's a wolf, when's the best time to do it, right? And that's what my book is all about. It's identifying which chronotype is yours, and then I give you 50 different activities and tell you the perfect time of day to do any one of them. To ask for a raise, to have sex, all of that yep. stuff. Every, yeah. So ask for a raise, have sex, eat a cheeseburger. Um, go, go for a run, do yoga, email. I mean, literally it's everything you can think of. Does, can one, even though it's, even though it's genetic, mm -hmm. can one's, uh, chronotype shift as their life path shifts? Yes, absolutely. So I call that chrono longevity. And so it's really interesting when you look at kids under the age of 18, their age actually determines their chronotype. Um, so as an example, if you remember back to the days when you were a teenager, I actually have two teenagers in my home right now. Um, and what they always want to do is they want to stay up until two o'clock in the morning and they want to sleep until 12 o'clock the next day, right? That's a classic teenage maneuver. That's a wolf's behavior. So almost all teenagers are wolves. So we call our house the wolf pack because I'm a wolf, my kids are wolves. And it turns out that my wife is actually a wolf as well. She and I, when we started dating, we never realized it, but we wouldn't finish our, you know, going out until one o'clock in the morning every single time. And it was nothing like that was just like, I didn't even pick her up until 830, right? Like that just was how we did things. And that worked out very well for us. So 
there's lots of really kind of interesting aspects to it. People always ask the sex question too. Well, yeah. When's the best time? <laughs> so it's, it's, so this has always been a, this is a, a very interesting um, set of data on this. So it turns out that 74% of people have sex between 10.30 and 11.30 at night. Um, this was a survey that was done. And um, the reasoning behind that is convenience. You're there, your partner's there, you're not wearing a whole lot of clothes. Hey, you interested? Sure, why not? And there you go, right? That's generally speaking how it goes. But if you looked at it from a hormone perspective, there's five hormones that you need for sex. You need estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone, all be high. You need adrenaline and cortisol to be high, and you need melatonin to be low, right? I'll give you one guess what your hormone profile looks like at 1030 at night when 74% of people are having sex. Yeah, it's the opposite of what you want. Exactly, right? <laughs> right. So when is it, when are you at the right hormone profile? Turns out, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning really is the best time. So I'm giving everybody out there listening the prescription. The next time you have sex, talk with your partner about it and see about having sex in the morning. You will be pleasantly surprised at the level of intimacy, connection, even performance is better. Um, at that time. Now, people always say, but wait a second, Dr. Bruce, what if I'm an early bird, a lion, and my partner is a night owl, a wolf? H how does something like that work? Believe it or not, in the book, I actually created a matrix um, where you can put in your chronotype across one side, they can put in their chronotype across the other. And I created multiple matrices. So for heterosexual couples, for gay couples, and for lesbian couples, because the hormones would be dramatically different. Um, in each one of those situations. So don't worry if you haven't, if you're not like me and you didn't marry another person of your same chronotype, then, um, or you have a partner, then um, you'll see that it, it'll work out just fine. Yeah. And, and just so everybody knows, and of course, all of this will be accompanied by show notes and links and stuff like that, but the, the test is free and you can take it yep. on your site. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If people go to thepowerofwhenquiz.com, you can take it right now. Where are most people getting their sleep wrong? Uh, so the biggest thing that people do incorrectly with sleep, well, there's two of them. One is they do not wake up at the same time every day. Now, notice I didn't say go to bed at the same time every day. Wake up at the same time every day. When you wake up in the morning and sunlight hits your optic nerve, it recalibrates your, an area called your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is your biological clock, and it shuts down the melatonin faucet in your brain. That has to happen on an incredibly consistent basis. So for me, it's between 6 and 6.30 every morning. My body naturally wakes up and I, I actually drink water and I get some direct sunlight because that also helps that we're going to get rid of that morning fog and eliminates any, any extra melatonin. Um, also, people don't realize it, but you actually breathe out almost a full liter of water every night while you're just breathing from the humidity in your breath. So having a 12 to 16 ounce bottle of water next to you is always a good idea. Um, and, um, that's really what you should be doing is you should be consistently waking up at the same time every day, including the weekend. So if you stay out, you go to Coachella and you're up till, you know, four o'clock in the morning and you normally get up at six 30, guess what? I want you getting up at six 30. I mean, you know, that's really what you need to do because it's, it's that, that's the anchor for your entire sleep process is your wake up time. You can go to bed whatever time you want. I will tell people if you go to bed consistently at a very consistent time, it turns out you need less sleep. Okay? So people are asking me all the time, Michael, how do I get eight and five? Right? How do I get eight hours of sleep mashed into five hours? So first of all, it's possible. Um, there's what are called polyphasic sleep uh, schedules that are out there. Some are better than others. They're not the healthiest thing in the universe, just to make that clear to everybody. Um, but one of the ways I, so as an example, I sleep 
six and a half hours a night. I have most of my adult life, and it's because my sleep schedule is so consistent. My eyes are closed at midnight, and, they're, and I'm up between 6 and 6.30 the next day. My brain knows what to do is the point I'm making here. And so by maintaining a consistent schedule, the thing that people mess up the most is that inconsistency. And again, more so on the wake-up side, but if you can do it on the going-to-bed side, it's really going to be much better for you in the long run. I would say the second thing that a lot of people do who have sleep problems is go to bed too early. Now, that's going to hmm. seem very uh, crazy, right? Like, especially for my insomniacs, I'm telling them all the time, by the way, you go to bed too early because here's what happens. They're freaking exhausted, right? And they, they've gotten home early. They can barely keep their eyes open. They shove a little food in their mouth and they're like, I'm just going to bed at eight o'clock and I'm going to catch up on all my sleep. And while they might be physically tired and have a lot of sleep drive, their circadian rhythm isn't ready to go to bed. And so they get in there and what happens? They either fall asleep for 30 minutes, wake up, and then they're up for the rest of the night, or they can't fall asleep at all and they just get pissed off and then they end up walking out of the bedroom. So the two big areas are consistency and don't go to bed too early. Yeah. Man, there's so, so many, so many good nuggets. You've done this before, haven't you? I have. <laughs> um, when it comes to circadian rhythms, you know, um, I've learned, uh, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but sure. circadian rhythms are um, endogenous and, are. And, and created within the body and in, in our own sort of natural cycles. So for, for, for those of us who are in the higher latitudes, you know, living in here in the Pacific Northwest, yep. we don't have the luxury, Michael, of waking up and going outside for sunshine. Like it's right. just, it's just not a thing, you know? Right. So, so light obviously plays a major factor in that. And I, and it I does. know that you're a proponent of, of, of using light as medicine. Yes. Um, what, what can you tell us about things that we can all do if we, if we can't start each morning? Uh, with that 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 dose of sunlight to uh, to drop our melatonin. Sure. So first of all, we all can, even if we even if we live, you know, in the North Pole. Um, so you buy a light box. So there are commercially available light boxes on Amazon. My favorite is called the Go Light. G O L I T E. I think it's less than a hundred bucks. And I take this with me when I travel. I do a tremendous amount of international travel, and so this actually helps me um, cure myself of jet lag. Uh, and it also um, keeps me on my own circadian path. So for many, many people, this is something that I have recommended. And it's in it. Let me just tell you something. It friggin works, right? Like if you do it, when I tell you to do it, it works. And so if right when you wake up and it's not like you have to stick it right in front of your eyeballs either. Okay. Is you set it on the, on the table when you're having your morning breakfast um, or you put it in your bathroom while you're getting ready in the morning. And it just has to be within eye shot. Um, but 15 minutes of sunlight through a light box will do wonders for you. Uh, also, the opposite is true at night. Um, and so this light that is in the, in the, in the light box it really falls into the um, spectrum of blue light, which is a big category, big topic that people talk about, 450 to 490 nanometers. And um, people should be using blue blocking glasses at night. Um, I'm a big fan of blue blockers. I know they might look a little goofy for some people. But here's the thing is if you're really trying to tap in and you're trying to make it so that you can fall asleep quickly, stay asleep, and then wake up you know, with less sleep than what you normally would want to have, these are a great tool to be able to utilize. I will also tell you that I've got my kids using them because my kids are on computers all day long at school. 
Um, and then sometimes into the night. And so, you know, if they want to be watching their shows or whatever, um, you know, while I, I like to look at the content of what's going on in their brains, I also like to make sure that we're not literally frying their brains with the blue light. So I've got them both wearing the blue blocker glasses and they're not bad looking. They're kind of fashionable and they're in the house. So nobody really cares. Um, but, you know, using blue blocking uh, glasses in the evenings is good. I also um, use uh, specialty light bulbs in my uh, bedroom that have melatonin uh, blue light filters in the bulbs themselves. So there's a company called Lighting Science Group. Um, I think their website is uh, lighting.science. And for, I think it's 20, 25 bucks, you can get um, great bulbs. And actually, I think if you use, the, if you like type in my name, like Bruce, B-R-E-U-S, I think you can get like a discount or something. Uh, we can find that out, um, put that in the show notes as well. Um, but, you know, being aware of blue light at night, I think is something that's very positive. Um, and look, use blue light as your advantage. I tell people all the time, if you're tired between one and three in the afternoon, don't take a coffee break, take a sunshine break. Like walk the heck outside and get some vitamin D and get some sunshine in your eyeballs because number one, it'll stop making you feel tired because that's the reason people feel tired between one and three in the afternoon is there's a slight core body temperature drop, which releases melatonin in your brain. So if you want to get rid of that melatonin super fast, go outside in the sunlight, even a little bit before, and you won't have that kind of doldrum between one and three in the afternoon. Um, so, you know, you got to look at those types of things, I think. And that's really where we get people who can hack into their sleep, have better quality sleep and actually have less quantity. Yeah. Cause that's what we're all after, right? Is, is right. we want, we wanted, we want minimum effective dose, uh, exactly. you know, the title of the title of the, of the podcast is the optimal performance podcast. And, and, exactly. and all, all of our listeners are about getting, getting, getting the most out of the least, you know, and, and to that point of the blue blocking glasses, you know, we did, we're developing some, uh, some eye health supplements and we're going nice. to uh, accompany that with, with a second Absolutely. version of some blue blocking glasses that we did. Well, and, and I think everybody, you know, like even, even the nighttime filter on your iPhone, because, because mm -hmm. let's be honest, the way that everybody does it now is mm -hmm. they work all day. They come home, right. they eat dinner, they take care of the chores. They right. hopefully they do their dishes and then right. they sit in front of the TV Exactly. because Netflix has more cool content than you'll ever be able to watch in a lifetime. Right. And we're just dosing ourselves with massive blue light. And then for most people, they head upstairs and they bring their phone with them and right. they lay in bed and they scroll, 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 scroll through Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Right. Right. And even with that light, that light dimmer on your phone, it's just not enough because you're still. So here's the interesting. Yeah. They did a study, RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in uh, Rochester, New York, did a study on the iPhone and this night shift thing doesn't do anything. No. Doesn't work at all. Really? Absolutely. No effect on melatonin suppression whatsoever. <laughs> what it's about published, I mean, published dim, dimming? It must help a little bit, right? It's a brightness thing versus a frequency thing. Remember, yeah. if the if the light is bright or not bright, while it may have some effect on the rods and cones, what we're really interested in is the frequency. And that blue frequency hits a very particular kind of cell in your eye called a melanopsin cell, and that's where the problem is occurring. So yeah. it's really just about the frequency and the blue light. Even if you turn it down, it doesn't, brightness doesn't, like turning down volume doesn't take away the bass, right? So like if you're listening to music, the bass is still there. It's just lower. Right. <laughs> you know? And so that's how you have to think about it is brightness doesn't really work. Brightness is like the volume knob for light. It doesn't actually, you know, increase the treble or decrease the bass. 
Right. Yeah. It's still, it is whether, yeah, it's still there, whether or not, whether or not you feel it as much, it's still there. Exactly. So eight hours of sleep is a myth. Total myth. Total Total myth. Horseshit. Rubbish. Yes. Completely balderdash. (laughs) Why? So I'll tell you why. So first of all, the math doesn't make sense. The average sleep cycle is 90 minutes long and the average person has five of those. Five times 90 is 450 minutes divided by 60 is seven and a half hours. So right there, if you were average sleep cycle and had the average number of them, you still wouldn't hit eight hours. Okay. So that's number one. Number two um, is, uh, again, the more consistent you are with your sleep schedule, the more your brain doesn't need certain stages of sleep. Stage one sleep only represents about three to 4% of the night. Um, So it's really not that important. It's really the transition from wake to sleep. Stage two represents 50 percent of the night. Don't get me wrong. There are things in stage two that are important, but you don't need 50% of your night to be stage two sleep. And that's where we can kind of squunch that down and move you quickly to stage three, four, which is the deep physically restorative sleep, right? The easiest way to uh, increase that is turns out is through daily exercise. Right. Um, Makes sense, right? Yeah, exactly. Like physical restoration from daily exercise. Like that just makes sense to me. Um, and that's w- and because that's when human growth hormone is emitted. That's when we see most of our cellular repair, things of that nature. And so, one of the things that everybody should think about is: look, just park your car further away and walk into work, type of thing, or you know, go for a twenty-minute you know jog or walk the dog. Do something. Get outside. First of all, the sunlight and the fresh air do you some good. Um, and second of all, exercise helps with sleep. It is probably the most consistent data finding that we know of is that daily exercise helps with sleep. Yeah. Right. I mean, it it makes sense. And if you're getting into that, that's where stage three and four sleep is so important. But then, but then the REM sleep obviously is where we get that mental rest. Yeah. And so so REM sleep is our mentally restorative sleep. And we now know that we move information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. And so stage three, four actually helps filter some of that information. And then once it's filtered, REM moves it from our short-term to our long-term. And it creates this organizational substructure inside of our brain where we kind of file pieces of information. And then each piece of information is linked to another one so that it's easy to be retrievable. Now, that linking process, we think, is dreaming, right? So that's why you've got all these weird things that happen in your dreams is because it's, it's a new piece of information is being linked to an older piece of information. So, you know, you walk into school and, and you're, you know, and you haven't been in high school in 20 years. And your third grade teacher is eating a bowl of spaghetti, you know, with your old dog. And you're like, what the heck is going on? That's because there was some new piece of information that somehow or another got linked to those other pieces of information. And that's kind of how your brain is interpreting it. Mm. Dreams could be a whole nother uh, podcast episode, right? Oh, yes. Um, And then there's lots of kinds of dreams. I'm actually working on um, a lucid dreaming project right now, if you're familiar with what lucid dreaming is. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there are nightmares. I mean, it's honestly, it's, there's so many different types of dreams. There are stress dreams. There are, um, nightmares. There are PTSD related, um, episodes in sleep. Like it, the list goes on and on. Yeah. You could, have you done, have you dipped into like, uh, the sort of esoteric, uh, uh, you know, Carl Jung sort of dream analysis, dream thinking. So I've never been a big dream analyzer and I'll tell you why is because nobody's really come up with kind of the definitive aspects to dream analysis. You can analyze it and I can analyze it. We could both be right. and We could both be wrong. Um, here's what I tell people. If you want to do dream analysis, 
The truth of the matter is, is it's best to do it either on yourself or with somebody who knows you really well. Because huh. they'll know, because when you tell them, hey, I had this dream, um, they'll be like, oh, well, that sounds like something that happened to you three days ago. Right? <laughs> and because you won't remember it, but somebody who's, who knows you well might be. So whoever your partner is, it might, that's, the, that's the type of person that you could talk about your dreams to them and then kind of start to walk down the path. But look, there's no dictionary that says if, you, you know, if you're in water, you hate your mother or something stupid like that, right? Like, like it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well, there's the teeth falling out one that everybody has, right? Yep. Very <laughs> common, the teeth falling out. That's usually a stress-related dream. Um, I've had that dream before. Have you? I've had that, absolutely, I have. And especially, I've noticed that I had it um, more so when uh, there was stress going around my kids than anything else. So it wasn't necessarily stress that was happening with me, but stress that happened when we were surrounding my children. I had that dream where I was eating and my teeth just started falling out. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And then it became a lucid dream because oh. I knew what it was. So it actually turned out to be fine because I was like, oh, this is a stress dream. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, I have control of this. Right. My teeth are not falling out and I can fly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to order a supermodel to fly with me exactly. at any point in time that I so choose. Absolutely. Right. Uh, orgies in the sky. Right, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, about diets and supplementation. And, sure. and I think that it, that, it, that it pairs nicely with sort of you know, nighttime routines because Absolutely. I myself, and I assume you too, I mean, despite the fact of you flying back and forth across the country in right. the same week, um, I bet that there are certain things that you do each night. Um, sure. there's also products that we carry that I think aid that, that, that yeah. we know aid the sleep GABA, uh, um, Absolutely. I'm a GABA big brain fan of GABA. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell me GABA, you... GABA are the breaks of the brain. Okay, so we produce a tremendous amount of GABA in our head, but sometimes we don't produce it at the times that would be most opportune for us going to sleep. And so when somebody uses supplementation with GABA, um, that's kind of what it does, right? And so the big thing with GABA is you need to be careful to make sure that the quality of your GABA is, is of, of good stead. There are actually many different types of GABA that are available in the marketplace. I can tell you, me, historically, me personally, I've used the type of GABA called Pharma GABA which is made by a particular company. And I've, I'm very particular. So I go, I go into the companies and I'm like, give me your purity standards. I want to see your, you know, all of your corn, cause you have to quarantine these um, ingredients when they come in, you got to make sure there aren't any parasites. Like there's a lot of stuff that you got to do before you make an ingestible. Um, and so that's why I'm kind of crazy about all that stuff. Um, but you know, I like pharma GABA. There are some other forms of GABA that are, are good as well. Yeah. So, so the, the, the three products that we, that we really sort of push for sleep are, are the GABA brain food, which also includes, um, just, just for our own edification and, you know, our listeners are going to maybe mm -hmm. know this, maybe not, but, uh, L-citrulline, rosemary extract and grapeseed extract. L-citrulline is an amino acid, uh, rosemary extract is, you know, rosemary of course, and then grapeseed, um, uh, to in increase uh, nitric oxide production to help GABA pass through the blood-brain barrier. But we have that one, and then we have magnesium. Um, I'm a huge fan of magnesium. Essential, right? Yeah, it's a big yeah. deal. And so many people are magnesium deficient. Right. So many. Like, un honestly, dude, if you're not eating like a bushel of kale a day, there's no yeah. way you've got enough magnesium. Because our body doesn't produce it. We have to ingest it, right? So right. we have to get it from alternative sources. Um, and a lot of it gets eaten up and pooped out, so not absorbed. 
So we have to kind of think through that. And is it okay if I give everybody kind of a recipe for a great way to get magnesium? Is that cool? Please. So I created this thing called banana tea. So it turns out that bananas are loaded with magnesium, but the peel actually has three times the amount of magnesium as the fruit itself. So here's what I have people do is go out and buy an organic banana, okay? Wash it off, cut off the tip and the stem, cut it in half, leave the fruit in and the peel on it, all right? Put it into about three cups of boiling water and boil it for about three minutes, right, until it turns brown. And then steep the water into a teacup and drink the water. It's loaded with magnesium. It is delicious. You got to like bananas. It's a great alternative to chamomile tea. And you can actually give it to children um, because you really, there's a lot of these supplements that I would never give to kids, but this banana tea is perfectly safe for children. Where did you come up with that? Um, well, I actually was working on it on the Dr. Oz show. We were looking for a way to um, take good food and make it available for people at night. Um, and we were looking for ways and magnesium turned out to be, you know, we knew about magnesium and we were just like, what would make sense? So we tried a couple of things. Tart cherries have a tremendous amount of melatonin in them. Um, and so sometimes I have people who even include a little tart cherry juice in this, uh, in the banana tea. And then the other, uh, thing that's been from a food perspective, that's been pretty interesting, not really, doesn't really fall into the keto line of thinking or the paleo line of thinking, but raw honey, um, is great yeah. for keeping blood sugar stable. So one of the big questions that I, I get a lot is what happens when I wake up at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning? Well, nine times out of 10, when I ask these people, when was the last meal you had? They say, oh, seven, you know? And so from seven at night until three in the morning is eight hours. Like your body's been fasting for eight hours and you might be, you might've moved through all your blood sugar. So what happens is your brain says, holy crap, there's no more blood sugar. So it increases cortisol to increase insulin to then eat, to find more fat to get, to start to, and guess what? When cortisol jacks in your brain, you wake up. Right. So super easy, just a teaspoon of raw honey. It needs to be raw, not processed. Raw honey um, works really well as well. What about uh, apple cider vinegar? I, you know, you're the third person to ask me about that. I don't know enough about apple cider vinegar to tell you. Some people swear by it. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any great data on it yet. And I've, and, and I'll tell you that the honey um, the only data that I've seen on it is I haven't seen any real good scientific data on it, but I've used it with patients and an overwhelmingly large amount, number of patients it, it was been working in. So while it's more yeah. anecdotal, um, I don't know much about apple cider vinegar. I'm sorry. To yeah, say. no, that's okay. So we have uh, this, because uh, we, we, I know that you're that your approach includes sort of a holistic uh, approach and in, in including, you know, gut microbiome. Absolutely. You, you mentioned the banana. Uh, uh, green banana flour is, is the second the, ingredient. It's in a great plus. starch that, that yeah. will also keep people's uh, blood sugar, uh, consistent as well. Yeah. So that's, so in, in my, my nighttime routine is, uh, is one that includes, uh, blue blocking glasses awesome. and then, um, the GABA mag yeah. or magnesium product. And mm -hmm. then this, uh, prebiotic plus, uh, yeah. which is a drink that it's got Cylon cinnamon and triolose and, um, green banana flour and inulin FOS, uh, take that. I, t I usually take that around, um, you know, seven or eight 30. And so by the time sort of 10, 10 30, because I'm a bear, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go night. Yeah. Yep. Um, then it starts to work. And then, uh, another thing that I've been messing around with and I'm, and I'd love to get your, uh, get your opinion on if you feel uh -huh. comfortable with it is CBD. Yep. Uh, I love uh, CBD. Um, let's, let's talk about it. Why, why do you love CBD? 
So, so I've written several blogs on CBD and the anti-inflammatory properties of CBD. Um, and my most recent blog was called CBD is not weed. Um, because so yes. many people out there are like, you're, you're promoting drugs, Dr. Bruce. No, I'm you're not. You're a pothead, I'm, Dr. Right, Bruce. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, it's like, and we can talk about that part too, because lots of people use cannabis for sleep and there's different types and there's different ways you can do that very effectively. Um, But let's stick to CBD and then we'll get to cannabis in a second. So CBD is one of the most potent anti-inflammatories there is. We actually have in our our bodies, we have an endocannabinoid system that is only reactive to these cannabinoids and these cannabidiols and things like that. And so there's an entire system in our body that's not being used unless we actually put this stuff in us. Um, so number one, somehow or another, I think mother nature intended it to be there and being used on some level. Um, and number two is the anti-inflammatory properties are tremendous. I mean, you can't tell me that somebody with, for example, sleep apnea, who's morbidly obese, high levels of C-reactive protein, um, doesn't have tremendous inflammation because by the way, that's why you have high, high levels of C-reactive protein is due to high levels of inflammation. Same holds true with my insomnia patients. I have lots of insomnia patients who have pain, who have fatigue, who have other things that are fueling their insomnia. You know, the thing that people have to realize is there's a lot of flavors of insomnia. There's I can't fall asleep, I can't stay asleep, I wake up too early. There's insomnia associated with pain, with anxiety, with depression, menopause, you name it, right? And so what we have to start doing is dialing it in right? Personalizing our insomnia so that we know what supplementation to take in order to treat these situations effectively. So when you're looking at nighttime routines, I can almost guarantee you magnesium is is a good one for 99% of people out there because so many people are deficient in magnesium. Um, Your your audience will probably also want to know about melatonin. We'll talk about that in a second as well. But CBD, I like it as an adjunct to therapy. So I'm, I actually have it in my, in my line of supplements, which is going to be coming out soon, um, because it's so potent and it works so well in so many different areas um, as an anti-inflammatory and an antioxidant. Yeah, I, I've, seen it, I've seen it help so, such a wide spectrum of people yeah. from, you know, from my folks to people who just can't relax and can't sit still to people that just kind of feel uncomfortable in their own skin yep. and they can't really tell you why. And it's because they have massive amounts of inflammation in their brain and in their body and in their blood. And yeah. uh, I, I've seen it, you know, just a, just a dropper, a tincture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use in, it on my dog. Time. Oh yeah. Yeah. So my dog was run over by an SUV and he's only three pounds. He's a Chihuahua and he survived. And yeah, and we rebuilt his whole back half, like his legs and his spine and all this stuff. And so there's a lot of places where there's scar tissue and inflammation and things like that. And we started him, we really thought he was not going to be with us much longer about six months ago. And um, somebody said, hey, have you ever considered CBD? And I was like, you know, I'm studying that for my patients, but I never thought about it. And they actually make pet CBD. And I got to tell you something, this dog's a different dog. Like he is like, it's like he's 10 years younger or something. It's unbelievable. So, you know, I mean, I've seen it work in so many different areas that, and I, I just, I haven't seen any harm that's come from using it as of yet. Like I haven't seen anybody overdose on CBD and I haven't seen anybody have really bad side effects from CBD. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure it's possible, but you just don't hear about it a lot. And I, I agree with you. It's, it feels like it's one of those things that can work in a lot of different areas for people. 
Uh, I I personally um, am, am an adv- an advocate for cannabis uh, in its various forms. It just and and I think that ten years from now, when the big boys are involved and more people are taking are developing uh, products, mm-hmm. both CBD and THC, uh, for 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 a wider consumption we're going to kick ourselves for yes. the last couple of hundred years of how it's been demonized because it oh, really, yeah. it really does. It really does work for everybody. It does. It does. It's crazy. And the good news is, is if you get CBD from the right source where there's zero THC in it, it's actually legal in all 50 States. Right. You know, so knowing and understanding you, your source of CBD, um, I get mine right now from a company called Ananda hemp. Um, they're out of Kentucky. They are this, quality standards that they have are insane. Um, and they're, it's just really good quality CBD. Their products are good. Um, I've had a lot of luck with them. I've recommended them to patients as well. Yeah. And that's, it's a whole nother can of worms, but yeah, yeah. um, the, the hemp, uh, the hemp import, whether it's from, um, you know, Northern Europe or from right. China, well, how, what's the, what's the, uh, the chain of custody where to come from? What pesticides like, were used? What soil was it grown in? Oh yeah. There's, it's unbelievable the detail that you can get into it. But I mean, I would tell people, you know, look for good CBD. Um, and, you know, and I'm, like I live in California, so it's, you know, it's recreationally available here. So we can do whatever we want here, which is uh, also another reason why I've started to understand more about cannabis in sleep, um, not just CBD. And, you know, can we, can we have a couple, can I talk a couple minutes about that sure. as well? Please so, do. So, you know, I've got, uh, there's a large part of my insomnia population where anxiety is one of the things that fuels insomnia. I would argue almost 70 to 75% of the insomnia that I see is fueled by either anxiety or depression. Okay. Yeah. So when you start to look at this, especially on the anxiety side, not as much on the depression side, but especially on the anxiety side, cannabis can be a great tool for that. Now, people need to know if they don't already that the Cannabis is a lot like wine, right? So there's red and there's white wine, there's sativa and there's indigo, right? And you really want to stay more towards the indigo side of things because that's much more of the relaxation, um, kind of calming down, putting you into a different mood um, for insomnia. And so I look at indigo and indigo hybrids for my patients. And so I'll go to the dispensary with them and say, all right, let's get in here and let's figure this out for you. And we look through all the strains and, and, you know, now it's actually getting much better. I mean, they're doing gas chromatographs on the strains, you know, exactly how much if, you know, THC versus CBD is in each one of these. Um, right now, the ratio that seems to be working well for sleep is an eight to one CBD to THC ratio. Huh. Um, that's the one that we, I've found with my patients has been the most effective. Believe it or not, there's now even a product, um, that's just called sleep and it's a, it's like a little pen and um, it's got a metered dose on it, which is the other big problem. Historically, you know, you'd say somebody use cannabis. They're like, well, how many joints do I smoke or how many hits do I take? We're, we're, we're well past that now. Now everything is edibles. It's metered doses. Um, nobody actually really smokes flour anymore unless historically you just like it. Um, most people are vaping it. So it's a lot healthier for you. Um, and so there's lots of ways to kind of walk down that path safely and effectively and can work for sleep. So you're actually going into the, going into the, into the shops with people to try to help them figure it out what, what's going to be the best for them. Exactly. Exactly. So like, and, and again, I can do that because California, it's recreationally legal, right? So yeah. anybody can walk in, as long as you have a driver's license, you can walk into one of these places. 
Um, whereas there are, I think it's 26 states now that have medical marijuana that's legal. Um, and so a lot of times going in there and just talking with the people behind the counter can be very um, enlightening. Now, usually those people are pretty high at the time. And, you know, sometimes you're not getting the best information. But, you know, if you really sit down and you talk with um, the owners or people who are really knowledgeable, they know all of these strains very, very well. And they can give you some really good ideas. But looking for that eight to one ratio seems to be a, a good place to start. Before we get into a couple of other sort of quick fire questions and topics. Uh -huh. um, we, we, I want, you, we were going to go back to uh, melatonin as, a, as yeah. a supplement. So, you know, remember melatonin is a hormone, right? Um, and you wouldn't just walk out and go buy testosterone or estrogen, you know, and you shouldn't just go out and buy melatonin. Um, here's the, the, the bottom line here is 95% of melatonin is actually sold in an overdosage format. The appropriate, Whoa. yeah, it's really messed up. The appropriate dose is between a half and one and a half milligrams. And that data comes out of uh, Dr. Wortman's data out of MIT. That's how much you need to, for plasma concentration levels in your brain to reach the point where it has an effect on sleep. Okay. You don't need more than that. Most of it is sold in three, five, and 10, which means we're overdosing on it, which can give people really crazy dreams. It can interact with blood pressure medication, things like that. So keep the dosage low, number one. And number two, most people don't know, but it takes almost 90 minutes for plasma concentration levels to get there after you've ingested melatonin. So you don't take it like a sleeping pill. You don't take it before bed. You take it an hour, hour and a half before bed. Um, that's the second uh, thing. The third thing is, is um, because it's not FDA regulated, I can make it in my garage and I can sell it at the local health food store. And that's a perfectly legal thing to do. So you really want to look at the quality standards of the melatonin that you're getting. I like the melatonin from uh, Twin Labs and from, believe it or not, Trader Joe's. So I went into Trader Joe's and they're the only people that actually have a half a milligram dosage. It's 500 micrograms, which is a half of a milligram. Um, and it's chewable and it's right there on the shelf. I use it for jet lag um, and trips. That's really where melatonin works. It's magic is when you're traveling from time zones. Um, however, I will also tell you, I don't know how old the demographic is that listens but um, once people reach my age, I just turned 50 this year, you'll start to see melatonin production will begin to drop off. And so melatonin supplementation after age 50 might not be a bad idea. A um, couple of warnings. Um, melatonin can affect women's um, menstrual cycle um, and can make birth control less effective. So those are things that they need to think about. And here's what's really weird is at high dosages, and now, now I'm talking like 30, 40 milligrams. Melatonin is actually a contraceptive. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a joke in there somewhere. There is. There's lots of jokes in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> like, she's, like, we get somebody to fall asleep and then they can't have sex. And all right. That. Right. There's a joke in there somewhere for sure. Yeah. Um, but here's where the problem comes in is with children. Um, and so I, uh, Dr. Oz and I did an expose on melatonin uh, two years ago. And um, we had thousands and thousands of parents write in and say, I give melatonin to my daughter or my son. Is that okay? The answer is no, it's not oh. okay. Um, there are very, very few children out there that have melatonin uh, deficiencies. And I can't think of anything worse than introducing a contraceptive into a young female developing body. Like that just, that seems stupid to me. Um, yeah. There is one caveat, and that is with uh, children who are autistic or on the autism spectrum. We have seen at high dosages, three, four, and five milligrams, it's extremely effective in that group. We don't know why, but it is. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it's cool stuff. So what's your night routine? Let's just say you're not flying to New York and back in a day. Yep. What's, what, what do you do in evening times? 
So my nighttime routine, we um, because I'm more of a night owl or a wolf, we have a tendency to have dinner a little bit later. So I usually don't finish dinner until about 7.30, 8 o'clock. Um, I will admit I'm a snacker before bed. I'll show you Shame what I've got. Shame on you. No, I've got Shame a, on you. No, I've got a good <laughs> snack I'll show you that I've got. I wonder if it's here. So as a nighttime snacker, this is the stuff that I like. It's called it's night food. called night food. Yep. And it's these bars, and they were specifically designed to help curb your um, cravings at night. Huh. And um, it's healthy. because. So what was interesting was is I, I met this guy, and he told me the story, and it's the same story that I had myself. He was like, I, I, get, I snack at night, and I, I always snack on something salty or something sweet, right? So oh, yeah. chips, you know, ice cream, cookies, whatever. And, um, and he was like, I'm gaining, I was gaining weight. And so I decided, well, you know what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just snack on protein bars instead. Well, guess what happens when you eat protein bars at night? Number one, it's not great for digestion. Uh, number two, they give you energy. And so yeah. it's hard to go to sleep when you're snacking on a protein bar. So they're really, and like, you know, you could have fruit, but fruit is full of sugar at night. Um, and so that's not a great option. So he developed a, a, actually a really tasty uh, bar. It's called Night Food. People should check it out. Um, I eat one of those almost every night. Um, it curbs my cravings. It's fairly low calorie. I think it's like less than 200 calories in a bar. D- does it taste like uh, a Chewy Chips Ahoy and a yeah. Dorito and ice cream all in one? Mm, not exactly. <laughs> is, it, uh, is, it, is it sweet? It's 140 calories. It is sweet. Um, and it uses um, cacao. Perfect. In it. So it's not like you know, terrible for you and any of that kind of stuff. I, I've been very impressed with it so far. This one is called Cookies and Dreams. <laughs> nah, nice. So, you know, some cute marketing name or whatever. But sure. um, I eat one of those. Um, and then depending, um, sometimes I like to shower at night. There's a lot of data to show that taking a hot shower, hot bath at night helps with sleep. Um, I definitely am a television watcher. I wear my blue blockers and um, I like to catch up on sports. Or, or whatever the latest Netflix thing is. I've been watching, uh, lately I've been watching the show called Lucifer, which is really good. Cool. It's like, it's like this cool murder mystery kind of thing. Like this devil, the devil has left hell and now he's on earth and he's solving crimes. I don't know why, but it's fun. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, it's just some mind numbing something. Um, sure. That, and then um, I actually try to meditate uh, once I get in bed at night. So I have several different things that I can go through, whether it's deep uh, diaphragmatic breathing or progressive muscle relaxation, things like that. But I broke it down into what I call a power down hour. So approximately one hour before bed, I take 20 minutes to do shit that just has to get done. So that's the last email of the night. Usually it's getting my kids backpacks together, finding shoes, things like that. Um, 20 minutes for hygiene and then 20 minutes for some form of meditation relaxation. Um, And that can include a lot of different things. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with falling asleep with the television on. Let me repeat myself. There's Wait a nothing wrong with falling asleep with the television on. So what? Let me, you, let me tell you what goes on in my house, okay? So I have a big king-size bed. I'm one. I'm asleep. Then my French bulldog is next to me. My chihuahua <laughs> is next to him. My wife is there. And then the cat is on top of her. Every once in a while, a child will burrow in from the bottom. And we don't even know that they're there until the morning, right? And there's a big screen TV, and it's on all night long. Really? Okay. So let me tell you, that's my, that's my world, all right? So wow. Let me, me tell you how it happened. So when I met my wife, she said, by the way, I sleep with the television on. I was like, yeah, 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 I'm a sleep doctor. I'm going to fix that. 
anybody out there has ever tried to fix something in somebody that has become their lifelong partner, good <laughs> friggin' luck, okay? Because yeah, it doesn't happen. It. Right. Um, but what I discovered was is that she wasn't actually watching television. She was listening to it, right? And so what she does is she closes her eyes. We turn the brightness down for sure. And she just listens to it. And it's just enough of a distraction to turn off her brain because she's got monkey mind. You know, she's, she can't turn off her brain. That's the most common complaint that I hear. Um, and this is just enough of a distraction sure. to allow her to do that. Um, the good news is, is that 95% of televisions have timers in the software. So yeah. you just set the timer and you turn it off. Um, she might wake up in the middle of the night and then turn it back on. It doesn't ever bother me. I'm a pretty, I'm a decent sleeper. Um, and so again, don't go by any hard and fast rules. You know, one of the things we've been doing in this podcast is we've been breaking the myths, right? Breaking the rules. And that's important for people to understand that you can adapt almost anything, um, to be able to make you work within your sleep and your sleep schedule. Now, look, if you decide that, you know, it's a great time to have your last cup of coffee, you know, 10 minutes before you go to sleep, obviously that's not going to be a great idea, right? Um, so some things are universal rules, but generally speaking, you know, whatever works for you, as long as it isn't hurting you or your bed partner, it's probably not as bad as you think. Well, you just, you just caused uh, yeah, a point of controversy here at the McCormick house because <laughs> I, I'm a really heavy sleeper. Um, I, I, I never wake up to pee. I never have. Um, uh, well, I'll talk about the waking up to pee thing in a second, but sure. um, uh, I have been an, an advocate for no TV in the bedroom. You know, the, the bed, the bedroom is for two things right. and that, that does include TV and I've, and I've drawn a hard line and I've stuck to it. And my wife, loves the tv in the bedroom and and loves loves looking at her phone just to kind of again just like just the detox the, just the detox from the day and the kids and the Total. to-do list and all that stuff man oh man i'm gonna have her listen to this and, uh, or or yeah uh, maybe or, not. So, or, not, or not but but like I, i'm asleep in five minutes as soon as my head head hits the pillow i'm out you know i'm a bear remember so yep. soon when that time comes it goes uh, the one thing i was kind of excited to share i, I learned this a long time ago um, you know, as we, as we, as men age, um, our ability, uh, our prostate, you know, suffers. Right. And so many of us, I'm 35, many of my friends who are 35, you know, get up once or twice every single night. Wow. Uh, and, and older, you know, the older you get, I know that that becomes more of a problem. This was a perfect time for me to share this, uh, to, to be able to exercise your ability to, to stop your pee. So I've been doing this for the last like two or three years to try to get out ahead of it because I really value my sleep. And the last thing I want to do is wake up to piss twice a night. Right. So what I do is every time I pee about halfway through, I stop the stream and hold it for three seconds to, to, oh, to, that's an interesting idea. Right. To exercise that sphincter. Right. To be able to like cut, shut that off. And I think in doing so, I think oh. that I've strengthened my prostate and I've strengthened off, strengthened off that, that, that sphincter in my, you know, right. my peer. Yep. And then. Uh, I've never, it's never been a problem for me. And I drink tons and tons of water. Um, right. and I drink water at night with reckless abandon. Cause I know that, I mean, when I got, when I wake up, look out, but, but right. you know, it's never been disruptive. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got a lot of patients who wake up to pee men and women. Um, and as we get older, we know that those, the, the sphincter on those bladders becomes looser and looser. And so it can give you a sense of urgency. Um, you know, when people wake up in the middle of the night, there's a couple cardinal rules that they should not do. Number one, do not look at the clock. Yes. Because you instantly do the mental math right. and then you're pissed. Right. You're like, 
It's four o'clock in the morning. I've got to be up in two hours. This sucks. And then you're all, you've got so much activation in your brain, you're not falling asleep anytime soon. So do me a favor. Don't look at the clock. Turn it around. You don't need it. You shouldn't even need an alarm clock. If you're going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time, within two weeks, your brain will do it automatically for you. Um, that's number one. Number two, if you don't actually have to pee, do not get up to pee. All right. So here's the thing that most people don't know is your heart rate needs to be at about 60 or below in order for you to enter into a state of unconsciousness. Right. So if you go from a lying position to a seated position to a standing position, guess what? Your heart rate ain't at 60 anymore. It's much higher in order because of gravity. You have to you know, push the blood up and down. So if you don't have to pee, lie, continue to lie there and do deep diaphragmatic breathing. I like the four, six, seven method, which is where you breathe in for a count of four, hold it for six, breathe out for a count of seven. You do that eight or 10 times, your heart rate just drops. You fall right back to sleep very, very easily. If you got to pee, definitely go pee. But do yourself a favor. Put some strategically placed nightlights along the way so you don't have to turn on the light when you get into the bathroom. Because the second you do, you told your brain it's morning and then you're screwed. Right. No, those are that's such great information. I, that's that's perfect for people to hear. Uh, uh, okay, so a couple of a couple of fast couple of fast questions here for you. Yep. Um, uh, what do you know about the chili pad? Do you like it? I love it. So I think the chili pad is really good because it's great for uh, menopausal women um, because it can cool you down at night. It's the only device that I've seen that can reliably cool people down. I have one actually here at my home. Um, and, uh, we, we all fight over it during the summer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. What about, um, what about a grounding pad or grounding mats? You like them or hate them? I like them for people who are EMF sensitive. I am mm. not EMF sensitive. And for a while I thought it was all total BS until I met a patient who was truly EMF sensitive. And I said, do you want to try a grounding pad? And they were like, and it literally changed their life over. Wow. So I, I have, you know, I probably have a half a dozen patients that that's, that it's worked on, but all of them have come to me and told me that they were EMF sensitive. I don't know how you determine something like that, but I feel like, I feel like it is, it can be an effective tool again for those types of people. Well, I think that there's going to be more and more people that learn that their sort of general unrest and that ringing in their ears and that irritability at the, in the, in the nighttime is directly associated with their cable, right? Yeah, all, for sure. all the all the Wi-Fi and and uh, EMS in their house. Yeah, totally. Uh, how about uh, how about binaural beats or binaural, uh-huh. binaural frequencies? So the science hasn't been super fantastic on this. However, there is some science that shows that it works. I wrote a blog all about the science of binaural beats. So if people want to check it out at thesleepdoctor.com, just type in binaural beats into this search, and it'll pop right up. Um, there's a there's enough data for me to to tell you that I think it works. Um, I, I would not say that we've cracked the code on exactly how to make it work yet, or at least it's not available in those 99 cent tracks that you can buy at the, you know, the iTunes store or the Android store. I think there's a lot more technology that's involved in that. I just started working with a company called BrainTap, and um, that's one of the areas that they're very interested in. Um, and they've created um, headsets and eyepieces where they have lights and sounds together. Um, where they've been able to basically get people into a meditative state in under five minutes, which is pretty impressive for folks who just can't get there. So I would say that there, the science isn't super clear on it yet, but we're definitely working in the right direction. I think there's something there. How about, and this is another contentious bait in my house, um, mm-hmm. bedding, bed, 
mattresses off-gassing of yep. memory foams versus organic wool stuff from sheep right. who got massages. Right, exactly. Uh, wh- where where are you at with, uh, with, with beds? It's very similar to my thoughts on grounding pads and EMF sensitivity. There are some people that are just off-gassing sensitive. Um, I'm not one of them. Look, I went into the plant where they were manufacturing Tempur-Pedics and I was there all day and I didn't have one ounce of a problem. Right. And so, you know, I've been in, in and around foam for long periods of time. I had my own mattresses at one point in time. Um, I get it. There are de- there's definitely something there and that people are sensitive to it. The vast majority of people are not. Hmm. Um, or you could be sensitive and you don't know. Uh, there was a great book uh, a while back called The Toxic Bedroom. Um, and uh, it's, it's an older book, but it really, it really did a good job of looking at the science then. I would love to find out if they have a newer version of that now just to see what they're doing now. Because I think, again, I think there's some real data there. Yeah. So it's case by case. If you, if, if you, if you think you might be sensitive or you, are, or you are sensitive to smells or off-gassing or plastics or something like that, then yeah. you probably should buy exactly four thousand dollar wool organic mattress with a cotton cover kind of thing yeah just make sure you got a really good money back guarantee on that sucker because those are those beds those super organic non-off-gassing beds and again don't get me wrong if people like them go for it they're expensive and the reason they're expensive is because the raw materials are expensive it's not like they're it's the same cost of the raw materials and that's part of the reason why i think the industry historically has done that is because it's the cheaper materials that that provide most of the off-gassing right right yeah in, in, in my house my my four-year-old son sleeps on a on a more expensive bed than me because we bought him one of those you know organic beds yeah. um and i so while we're on beds uh is is firmness versus softness uh also case by case no um there are some general things that we can say about it so first of all if you're of asian descent um, it turns out that Asians have straighter spines than Caucasians, and so they like a much firmer surface because, you know, we carry most of our weight through our torso, and so if you have a soft surface, you'll bend there, and that it'll start to hurt your back. Um, so firmer is uh, certainly, generally speaking, what um, people from Asian descent um, seem to enjoy more. Um, also, people with low back pain are, will do better on a firmer surface as well. Um, I wrote a blog on how to pick a mattress based on your body type. If people want to check it out, they're welcome to do so. Um, but firmer is usually better, um, in, in most things in terms of, of, uh, of mattresses for sure. Got it. Okay. And then how about sleep trackers mm-hmm. during tech? So, so here's the thing about sleep trackers is who cares? Like <laughs> it drives me freaking crazy when, you know, you look at the sleep tracker and it says you've got 17 minutes of REM. Like, like I give a crap that like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with the data? Right. Yeah. And Always. so, and so that's, that's been a frustration with me. I just started working with a company called sleep score. Um, and, um, what's really interesting about them is they actually give you a comparative analysis. So I'm a 50 year old white male. They'll compare my sleep to a 50 year old white male. And that gives me a little bit of a reference point. Like, Oh, okay. I'm in line with people my age or I'm not. Then what it does, which is one step further, which is what I like is it, it will give you personalized sleep recommendations based on your previous night's sleep. So if it noticed that I woke up four or five times, it might also notice, hey, you know, the temperature was hot in your room, need to turn the temperature down. Like I'll get that. And that's very valuable information to me. Um, So um, Sleep Score Max does a really good job of that. There's another one called Bedit, 
um, that Apple purchased um, that they'll probably, I don't know if they're out in Apple stores or not yet, but um, Bet It is, a, is definitely a good one. Those two are the ones that I like the most as far as giving comparative analysis and kind of what do you do with your data. Cool. Very cool. Well, before we wrap this thing up, is there what what are you working on now? What should people be reading? What should they? I mean, what 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 what's what's the hot what's the hotness? So you know, I'm right now. There's a lot of different things that are going on in sleep. The microbiome really is a place that people need to pay attention. Um, I wrote a blog about the sleep gut connection and how the microbiome is works on circadian rhythmicity and rhythms. And it's been very, very popular. Um, and I, I really think that is where we're moving. I believe that light is medicine. I believe just like there's junk food, there's junk light, and we need to pay attention to light. Um, I think we need to pay attention to what we stick in our mouths. Um, you know, nutrition, our body's a chemistry set, and nutrition matters, right? And so, you know, at the end of the day, what I always tell people is, look, when you cross the finish line of life, you can either be in a car that's at max speed, doing exactly what you wanted to do and fly across that finish line. Or you can be in a junker, you know, that's got, you know, the radiator is blown up, you got four flat tires and you're barely making it across the line. You know, one looks a lot more appealing than the other to me, at least. Um, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate. My grandfather passed away when he was 103 in 10 months. So I'm going to be here a while. So I'm going to be taking care of this as best I can. And that's really what I would tell people is you cannot take care of yourself without taking care of your sleep. Don't take your sleep for granted. Um, it affects every organ system, every disease state, every single thing you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. I think that's a great place to stop. There you go. Dr. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the OPP. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and I'm happy to come back. For additional insights and practical lessons based on this show, go to naturalstacks.com. The Optimal Performance Podcast is a Natural Stacks original. Our executive producers are Dennis Buckley and myself, Sean McCormick. Our producer is Christian Randall. OPP intro music by Odyssey. Additional music provided by That New Jam. A Randy McCandle production.